When you are helping someone, a friend, a relative, someone in your immediate family, someone in your local church, it is important that you understand that what you see, what they are telling you is not the primary thing that you need to know. People do not know how to diagnose their problems accurately. Of course, that's one of the reasons that their problems continue. It's also one of the reasons why they are not able to help themselves. And so as they come to you or you go to them and they begin to tell you what is going on in their lives, they will never tell you the primary thing, the real issue. And it's important that you understand how to penetrate the noise in their lives, the things that they are saying, or the chaos that you are seeing. Not only understand these things, but you have to have the insight to drill to the heart of the matter where real transformation happens. I want to give you a case study in this podcast. I want to graphically provide for you the insight that you need to understand the real story of what is going on with a couple in this case. They are struggling in how you can help them. And so I have an infographic that I have developed for this podcast. It is inside the show notes. And so it would be really great if you could listen to this podcast while following the timeline. There is a chronology in the counseling process of this couple and where it begins what they tell you when they come in, that's where it starts. And where it ends is in two radically different places because I want to walk through step by step how to get to the heart of the matter. And that's why I titled this podcast, episode 214, Getting to the Heart of the Matter with a Combative Couple. You can read everything that I'm sharing with you I have a lot of notes here, including this infographic. I do have a long-term plan with our infographics is to do an explanatory podcast for each one of them. We have over 100 infographics on our website. Many of them do have explanatory podcasts, but most of them do not because there are so many, and so I'm probably looking at another one of my five-year plans to get all of these graphics illustrated in audio, in podcasts, so that you can not only look at the graphic, but you can hear a podcast that explains the graphic, and of course, that will make it better for you and your personal discipleship efforts, what you're doing to yourself as well as those that you are helping and those that you are training. And so I want to get all these graphics illustrated in podcast, and that's what I'm doing here. Again, this is episode 214, Getting to the Heart of the Matter with a Combative Couple. I have the infographic here. I'm going to do my best to walk through it, and I want you to Specifically, pay attention of where we began with this couple when they walk through the door with their problems and where we end this podcast by getting to the heart of the matter. If you want to talk about this podcast, you can come to our website, rickthomas.net. I don't know if I introed myself or not, but this is the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the episode 214. If you want to talk to me or our team, please do that. 
Uh, we have uh, folks who have been asking questions today, and we're going to get to those if you're still waiting out there. We're pretty quick at responding to folks, but sometimes we do have a, uh, a stack up of questions that come, and we to, do try to get them. There's a lot that's happening here in the ministry, but we do want to talk to you. We want to hear what is going on in your life, and if it's really important to you, then I want you to come to our website. You can get a free username and password, and that will get you access to our forums, and you'll be good to go, and we'll be, we'd love to chat with you about this or perhaps something else. So let me get into episode 214, getting to the heart of the matter with a combative couple. I'm going to walk through eight steps because as you look at this infographic, what you will see is there are eight sequential steps that are happening here that progress through. It's really not an unusual counseling session. You will find a lot of them that go like this, and so I want to walk through these eight steps that are depicted here on the infographic. The first step is they come through your door. They come to you, and they're asking for your help. Now, sometimes people will say, well, what should I say to someone when they come to me? I would not overcomplicate your opening question. I virtually say the same thing every time. How can I help you? Why are you here? How may I serve you? What would you like to see the end of this process look like for you or for both of you? But how can I help you? You don't want to overcomplicate it because you're not going to stay here long. As a discipler, you're going somewhere. And the intro or the reason that they are here, that's not where you're going to hunker down, as you're going to see in this podcast. And so I will say something like, why did you come for counseling? Now, it's important that you understand that no matter what comes out of their mouths, it will not be the real problem. Nobody ever does that. I mean, in fact, if they knew what the real problem was, they probably would not be seeing you in the first place. And so they're not going to tell you what the real issue is. It will be an issue. And when I say the real problem, I'm talking about the causal problem. What is the cause here? Because as a discipler, what you are trying to do, what you want to do is to cooperate with the Lord and with this couple so that you can identify what is going on as a ruling heart motive so you can eliminate it at its source, its causal core, the source issue that is feeding up into the problem that they're going to tell you when you ask them. And so point number one, you say, it's why did you come to counseling? Why are you here? And whatever they say will give you your starting point. You you don't want to dismiss what they say, but you understand that it's not the real problem and you're going to take them somewhere, but you have to know what the starting point is. And so with this combative couple, they come for counseling You ask, how may I help you? And they say that we have family dysfunction. That's fine. That's a good start. And so they do that, and you want to take them to point two. Point two, you want to begin to ask them, okay, you have family uh, dysfunction, and, and so you tell me 
what is going on? What has been happening in your lives recently? Eventually, you'll be asking what has been going on in your life historically, and they'll begin to describe to you a series of events or words or conflict, things that have come between them, issues that have come up in their relationship. And it's also important here to understand that they will not give you biblically or biblical responses to this question either. They will not only not tell you biblically why they are here as far as a causal source issue, they will give you some superficial thing. As I've said here, they say they have family dysfunction. But as you begin to get inside that family dysfunction, you'll also hear that their descriptors, as they describe what is going on, they will not be describing it accurately. They'll say all sorts of things. We, we have been arguing. We have been fighting. We have not been getting along. Uh, my wife is a nag. My husband is domineering. They'll give you all of this information, and it is helpful, but you want to, what you want to do is you always want to move them within a biblical framework. You want to move them out of, out of secular labels or innocuous descriptors, and you want, to, you want to give them some bite. You want to give them labels that bite, that give them color, that give them real definitive ways of thinking about what is going on. And so this couple says that we haven't been getting along, we've been um, arguing with one another, you know, he said this, she said that, etc. Now, there's many ways that you can respond to them by giving them a biblical descriptor. You probably have several things that are going on in your mind now. I'm going to say, for the sake of this podcast, that, oh, well, what you're telling me is that you're not, you're not honoring one another, that you're dishonoring one another. That is a solid biblical descriptor from Romans 12, 10, where Paul said, love one another with brotherly affection. That's the first sentence. The second sentence in this verse, outdo one another in showing honor. And so you don't have to overthink this by coming up with the most perfect, precise way of describing all this data that they have just dumped out on your floor. You could just say something very simply, oh, you're dishonoring one another. And of course, they should. They should agree with that. And the reason you're not looking for a precise descriptor here, because this is not where you're going either. All you have done from the moment that they have come to the counseling session is you have tried to get them on a biblical track. And so when they said that they are having family dysfunction, you, you didn't correct them and try to give that a biblical framework. You just took it as is, and you began to ask them, well, tell me what is going on. Now, once they begin to describe what's going on, now I want to move it within a biblical framework, and I just did something very simply here and said, oh, you're just dishonoring one another. You will have to recategorize whatever they say to you because you do want to start moving them into a biblical way of thinking. 
And so point number one out of these eight steps, why did you come to counseling? Family dysfunction. And number two, what have you been doing to each other? And then there's this data dump on what they have been doing. And you, you bring that down to a very simple descriptor. Oh, you have been dishonoring one another because you want to move from the what to the why. And so you let them talk for a long time about everything that they have been doing, what they have been doing. And you give it a very simple descriptor because you have a more important question that you want to ask them. So you have been dishonoring one another with point number three. Why are you doing that? Or why are you doing those things? Why are you dishonoring when you did this, 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 and this that you just said to me? The why question is always more important. What question describes external behavior but why explains the internal, what is happening in the heart, the reason that they are doing this. Whenever a person tells you what they are doing, your first response to them is to ask them why they are doing it. You won't, don't want to hang out on the what they are doing. I mean, you can, and you can give them some tips and tricks and, and ideas about not doing that, but that's behavioral modification, and that's why you want to come back with, why are you doing it? Because then they will start explaining what is really going on in the heart, and that's where you want to lead them. And what you're going to find when you ask the why question, you're going to find patterns of attitudes, thinking, words, behaviors. And what I mean is that they're going to have, you're talking about the accumulative effect of historical patterns that have complicated their relationship. You see, if this was a one-off, a one-and-done conflict, they had an argument last night, and it's, it's the first and, and the only one that they've ever had, they, they would have resolved that. But what you're going to find is that you're going to find patterns, patterns of attitudes, patterns of thoughts, patterns of words use, word usage, patterns of behaviors that have been going on in their lives. So this is more than just a, a one-off conflict, but this is a thing that has been going on probably for many years in their lives. As, as you get underneath the why of all this behavior that has been happening, you want to discern these complicating matters. They say they have dysfunction in their family. You'll find many other problems in addition to this simplistic thing of dysfunction. You'll find complicating problems, a collection of other issues that are piled on top of the original reason that they came to you. And so point number one, why are you here? We have family dysfunction. Point number two, what are you doing to each other? They give you a data dump and, and you say, okay, you're dishonoring one another. And then point number three, you ask, why are you dishonoring each other? And, and you're going to find past and present unresolved conflict going on. And then you'll have to ask them again, as now all these other complicating matters have come to the surface, why do you have ongoing conflict? This is not just a moment-in-time problem, but this is a historical pattern in your lives. Why is it happening? They will simplify again by, 
by saying that, well, the reason that we have past conflict is because we have communication problems. This is a simplistic and inaccurate way of describing as far as the real problem in the marriage, but you want to be in tune for that. As you try to go deeper, they're going to continue to give you simplistic responses to what is going on. And so now that you're in this ongoing pattern of conflict, and you ask why that is happening, well, they're going to say, typically, they'll default, we just, we, we, we have communication problems, or they may say, we, we don't get along, or our personalities are different, stuff like that. And there's a long list there, but you don't want to get hung up on that. People in ongoing conflict will not give you the right answers, and so you will have to help them. If you don't know any more than what they are providing for you, it will not be possible for you to help them. And so you don't want to ride the wave of their simplistic answers. You have to know more. And so if they say something simplistically, like we have communication problems, which is what I'm using in this, this graphic here, what would be the most obvious question to ask them? The why question. Okay, you have communication problems. Why don't you communicate well? Go back to the why question. When they give you an inaccurate or incomplete answer, just keep going why. You're leading them. Now, hopefully you already know the answer to the questions that you are asking But one of the keys in doing discipleship well is not giving them the answers to the problems that they're going through, but you want to lead them to the answers. You want them to come to the place of discovery. You know this from teaching younger people. You can give a person an answer to the problem, but the likelihood of them retaining it and remembering it is pretty slim. But if they wrestle through the problem and and learn some technique for this math equation and, and learn a way that they can resolve this math problem, they will remember it all the days of their lives. And so you want to be careful about giving them answers, and that's why you're asking them questions when they give you simplistic responses. And as they go through, first they say they have family dysfunction, And then you ask them, what are you doing? And they give you a data dump of of things that have happened between them. And then you ask them, why are you doing this? Why do you have this past and present conflict? They will still come back with a simplistic answer, and they will say, well, we just don't communicate well. And so you will have to take them a, a little farther down. And so point number five, why don't you communicate well? Go back to this why question, and then you're you're provoking them in a good sense of the word. You're provoking them to think. When they say they have communication problems, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find frustration with each other. You're going to find stubbornness. You're going to find impatience with each other. Listen to what they say and listen at two levels. As they begin to describe their communication problems, you begin to label what they are saying biblically. 
And so the husband begins to describe this thing between him and his wife, and, and you can hear the frustration that's coming out. Or the wife is, is determined to have her way, and you hear the stubbornness as she's communicating her position on the matter. Or one of them is, is frustrated with the other one not getting it as quick as they should. What are you hearing? You're hearing impatience. Now, as you begin to tease this out, when they say they have communication problems and you begin to tease out frustration, stubbornness, impatience, you're putting brushstrokes on the canvas that looks a whole lot, whole lot different than this generic one-size-fits-all communication problem default that most couples say that they are they're having you're challenging them you're asking a series of what questions but you're getting underneath with another series of why questions and then you'll get to point number six on this graphic so point number one why are you here family dysfunction point number two what are you doing as a husband and wife I said in this podcast, you're dishonoring each other, which is virtually everything that they have described. Number three, why are you, you see how we went from the what to the why, why are you dishonoring each other? And they begin to to come out with all this past and, and present conflict, another data dump of all this stuff that has gone on in their lives. That's number three, why are you dishonoring each other? Number four, and they give you this data dump, and, and they say, well, we're having a, a communication problem because you ask them, why is this ongoing conflict continuing? We have a communication problem. And then your next, point number six, why do you have a communication problem? And, and you're really child, you're pushing them. You're provoking them. It does remind me of he, Hebrews 10, 25, that it says we should provoke one another. That's in the context of, of like how an oyster is made. There is this good friction that causes this beautiful thing that, that happens, and that's what, that's what you're doing. And so you ask them, why? Well, okay, you, number five, why do you not communicate well? And they begin to describe frustration and stubbornness and impatience. And then number six, why is, what is the problem according to you? What you're doing is you're giving them time to talk themselves in a corner. You want them to use their words to condemn themselves. Jesus did this often. He would let people talk, let people say whatever it is they want to say. And what they were doing in his kindness is they were painting themselves into a corner. And if they talk long enough, they will do this. You'll have to be patient. Because the temptation for you will be, you would want to quick fix this couple. And remember that discipleship is not like herding cattle through a stall where you're just processing people. No, these are human beings that you want to spend time with. That's why historically I don't counsel anybody less than two hours. Been doing that forever. Because you need to give people time to, to share what is going on in their lives. You don't want to just Take links out of the chain and quick fix people. You want to hear them, listen to them. You want to talk to them, communicate with them. You want to be patient. You want to give them time to wrestle, sometimes vent. But you want them to work through this. You, they're working out their salvation right in front of you. 
And so you must lead them with insightful questions. And once they paint themselves into a corner, you want to give them a direct, non-negotiable, clear, and biblical response. And this is what I would say to this couple here. They have been combating with each other. They've been going back and forth in the counseling session. Both of them are, are perfectly right in their own eyes. Well, it's kind of obvious of what's going on here. I would say something like this. So you're saying that you're right and your spouse is wrong. Everything that they have said communicates that I am right and that you are wrong and you want them to you want to be as clear and succinct as you possibly can you don't want to give a big lead up to this you don't want to give a a paragraph you just want to give a short sentence that that concisely communicates exactly what they have been communicating for the past hour hour and 15 minutes at this juncture in a counseling session that leads to only one inevitable conclusion number 7 you are better than the other person. That is what you're saying. And you want to give them a biblical category for what they are describing, what they have been describing. And the biblical category that they have been describing is that there is self-righteousness. You have a better than, greater than attitude than this other person. And when you talk about self-righteousness, and when you say this initially, more than likely they will think that you're talking about the other person in the room with you, their spouse. But what you want to do is you want to flip the argument to make sure that both of them, that both of them hear this and apply this to themselves. Both of them have been prosecuting the other person. I am right, you are wrong greater than, better than attitude. Both of them have been doing that, and they'll do this all the time when there's merit. That's where people start. They always start with the speck that is in the other person's eye. And what I've been doing in this counseling case is I've been, I've been trying to lead them into a corner to where they can condemn themselves and realize that they have been speck fishing and they have not started at the right juncture, which is addressing the heart of the individual. And notice what has happened here. I have moved the argument from a superficial reason that they came to see me. We have marriage dysfunction. That is the external thing that's been going on in their lives. And have pinpointed a significant heart condition, which is self-righteousness. And finally, point number eight, the last point, I would just say it plainly. You're self-righteous. And so here it is, point number one, why are you here? Family dysfunction. Number two, what have you been doing? Dishonoring each other. Number three, why are you dishonoring each other? They give all this conflict. Number four, why is this ongoing conflict happening? We don't communicate well. Number five, why are you not communicating well? Frustration, stubbornness, impatience. You see all three of those? Having a communication problem, I'm not sure what that means, but when you redefine it as frustration, stubbornness, and impatience, well, now we're talking about self-righteousness. Number one, two, three, four, five. Number six, why is 
this these problems existing in your relationship frustration stubbornness righteousness well i am right and my spouse is wrong i doubt they would say that you may have to say that to them because they probably won't be that humble to make that kind of open acknowledgement open confession especially in front of the other spouse number seven so what you're telling me is that you have a greater than better than attitude than your spouse Uh, yeah i guess that's what i'm saying Then number eight, this is where you were going all along. You are self-righteous. They will need to buy in on what you're saying. Don't assume that they will understand how bad off they are. You want to paint a dire and hopeless situation, which is typically why I would say something like this. You can't change. A self-righteous person can't change because there is no grace for the righteous. Jesus did not come for the righteous, but for the sick. As he said in Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as long as you harbor a superior attitude toward your mate, toward your spouse, your partner, you will be in an adversarial relationship with God Because James says that he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And because you are righteous, you don't need grace. This will prohibit you from receiving the transformative power that you need to change. Do you realize how hard that is? But you want to make it that clear. Your goal is to flip the counseling session on its head by showing them that the real problem requires them to head in another direction which is the point of repentance. They come in with family dysfunction, a behavioral problem. You walk the counseling session and the counsel leads to the heart condition and you hope that they will hear that and respond biblically. This is episode 214, getting to the heart of the matter with a combative couple. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.